So, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Production Podcast. Now, slight change in lineup today. We've got usual me, unlucky, but this week filling in for Kieran, who is unavailable, is Mr. Callum Devine. Callum, how are you? Very good. Glad to be on. First time on this. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to it and got some big, big games to talk about, haven't we? We do, as, as we do every week. You know, English football, it's always exciting. But for those who don't know, Callum does his weekly predictions. He's on the table. And as always, he knows what he's talking about. But firstly, Callum, as two Scotsmen, I think we need to address the international break. How relieved yeah. How relieved were you when David Marshall saved that penalty? Could you believe it? Uh, I think you could more believe that than Kenny McLean sending us to, to an actual European qualifying final. I mean, like, who would have thought Kenny McLean would have scored the winning penalty? To send sure, us to even yeah. play yeah. against Serbia, never mind David Marshall winning the game against Serbia. So obviously that was a big shot, but both of them um, were two huge shots and two big moments. I think upon reflection of the game, I think over the 90 minutes, Scotland were the better team. Oh, without I a think, doubt. Yeah. Because I think the last 15 minutes against Serbia, sure, Serbia tried. I mean, bear in mind, when you're facing a national team who can bring on a forward who just the season earlier made about a 30, 40 million pound move to Real Madrid. They're always going to be a threat. And of course, he was the one who scored the header to make it an extra time. But I think over the course of the game, I thought, now, as you'll know, Sam, I've been a frequent uh, criticiser of Andy Robertson's performances for Scotland, but I thought he was very good, apart from that chance, which which obviously went about 70 miles up into the... Uh, up into space before Ryan Christie scored, uh, which is what I thought about good finish. And yeah, I think it was just a huge moment because I, I, I can remember I was saying to my dad um, when when we were like, I think it was either during or before we were watching the game. Um, it was something that I never thought was going to happen until a good number of years. I thought the squad was always good enough. And I think that's the sort of thing with Scotland is that the players are always there. The personnel is always there. But for some reason, all these moving parts, usually defenders, it just doesn't seem to work. But I think it did. I think, I mean, who would have thought that that a centre-half playing for Motherwell, in my opinion, was actually, or is actually, Scotland's best centre-half just now. But of course, that's a debate which we can talk about. He, he's <laughs> certainly impressed. And since coming into the Scotland team, he's impressed. I mean, I was never convinced by him. But he... He controlled Mitrovic, and that was really where the game uh, was won, really, because without him, they didn't have a threat. And even when they brought on Jovic, you know, he didn't really have his chance until the very last minute. So I, until that chance, we didn't even look in danger of losing it. Thankfully, they were miles off it, which probably helped. But even if they were off it, I think we still would have won the game, because better players, in my opinion. Player for player, I think we're better, apart from one or two. But we had quality in the team. And they showed it when it mattered. But I have to say, going through extra time, I thought they were going to score. It was just attack after attack. It was hard to watch. But if you'd offered us penalties before the game, we definitely would have taken it. So, oh, yeah, well done. Yeah. Still can't believe it. Still, oh, incredible. Incredible achievement. Sam, so, so how many times have you watched the YouTube highlights of Sky Sports? Be honest. It's probably over 10 now. <laughs> I think it's too bad. I bet you there's a few no, who are way more than that. 
Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I was, what a moment. Words don't really describe the feeling. And I'm sure there's quite a few who'd agree with me there. No, and of course, I, I, support, I suppose I can freely boast on this podcast that, that, that I have got tickets for it. So, oh. uh, at Hamden. So, I, I don't know what game it is, to be honest. <laughs> I, I mean, knowing my luck, probably something like Czech Republic and Croatia. Well, which is it's, like fun, it's funny you say that because I've heard, I've heard a few stories about people buzzing they had Hamden tickets only to find out they got that game. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that would be a kick in the balls. Yes, it definitely would be. It definitely would be. But no, I think I I, I thought it was a, a great, great game. I think the game against Slovakia, if we can briefly move back to that and we'll kind of relate it back into the game uh, now, eight days ago. Um, I think the, the Slovakia game highlights something that we all knew as Scotland fans, even um, eight days ago, is that Ollie McBurney, is one of the most overrated Scotland strikers. Now, now, this is a bold claim here, but one of the most overrated Scotland strikers I think I've seen. Because, look, this guy is hyped up in England. He's hyped up by certain people in Scotland. He still hasn't scored. And he's played over 20 games now. And what I think the Slovakia game showed me as a Scotland fan who... I'll be honest, I, I, I'm not a frequent watcher of Sheffield United. <laughs> because in my opinion, I've got much better things to do. Oh, to be fair, I quite easily agree with you. They're not exactly exciting to watch. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think he's somebody who tries, but it just doesn't kind of work. And I think, again, it showed... Well, to be fair, I think the game on Wednesday against Israel, he was actually OK. Um, yeah, he came on and won a few headers, made a couple of chances, but the guy just looks really slow to me. And that, yes. <laughs> I, I don't think... His running is someone's jogging, you know? It's, it's really slow. He doesn't offer much going behind. He wins a few headers, but not enough. Even, you know, you, you mentioned the Slovakia game. Those were three sitters. And there's, oh, some, yeah. there's someone else in that Scotland team. If you presented those chances to, he takes them. But some would argue he's not fully fit, but that's a whole other argument. And if, yes, we, start, if uh-huh. we start getting on to the Griffiths argument, we'd probably never finish this episode. <laughs> we definitely wouldn't. And of course, we've got tons of stuff to talk about as we well, do. don't we? So, Premier so League, and we've got predictions, and we've got a whole load of other that as well. But of course, I, I, th- I think we should all encourage the listeners to go and send in their thoughts about what about basically what they thought about the Scotland game and see if they agree with me that, that Ollie McBurney is not very good or should I say agree with both of us or or maybe off of it a different point of view but yeah will we oh, get into Mr Smith? We will, we will indeed so Premier League which seems like a lifetime ago now the last round of games it started on Friday night Brighton, Burnley and 0 which was I guess not too big a surprise given Absolute Burnley were playing news fest in my opinion <laughs> The Friday night game was Southampton Newcastle. 2-0 Southampton it finished. Yeah, actually I remember watching it and thinking, that oh, was a good wee game. Armstrong mm. Armstrong scored the winning well, what proved to be the finisher for Newcastle. I'm not he's on fire. I don't see the Scottish people don't rate him. I don't see that opinion because every time I watch him play, he offers so much. And on Friday night, well, two Fridays ago now, he was different class. The guy does not stop yeah. running. 
yeah, he's, he's an absolute machine. I think he took a wee while to get going, though. I think especially in the 2018-19 season, he was sort of in and out of the team, starting on the bench, getting brought on after the 70th minute. But Hassan Huttel seems to really trust him in that sort of number 10 role, which is great for, for them, of course, because now they're sitting fourth in the table. But also great for Scotland as well, because now we've got John McGinn, who's playing for the sixth place team now in the Premier League, which I'm sure we'll get on to how good Aston Villa's been this season and how... Uh, if we can say how much they've so far overperformed. Um, and also, you've also got, I, I, in my opinion, Premier League calibre players in Ryan Christie and Callum McGregor and Ryan Jack. So I think that Scotland midfield is really looking strong. And I think Stuart Armstrong is, uh, has undoubtedly been a key part for that for Southampton this season. And he showed that again against yeah. Newcastle in the game. Uh, God, it's, is, is it two weeks ago now? It is two, two weeks ago today. That's where we are. So it, it was a wee while ago. I'm struggling to remember much else from that game, to be honest with you. Um, but what I will say is Newcastle are probably the most hit-and-miss team in the league. One week they can be absolutely excellent, and then the next, that Southampton game, they were pretty cross. They don't offer much sometimes, but sometimes they do. And when they do, they are very good to watch. But anyway, let's get on to Saturday, which started with Everton Man U. Big fixture. Oh, yeah, without, without a doubt. I think... For me, Everton have been this sort of team again. They're almost like Newcastle. However, not as bad and not as frequent. They started off really, really well, top of the table. James Rodriguez has been on fire. Kind of tailed off the last few games. Of course, the, the Man U game I thought was a great game to watch. Um, and obviously, I mean, I mean, Goodison Park now under Ancelotti is not an easy place to go by any means. No. And for Man U as well, who, let's be honest, have also been a sort of hit and miss team, not only in the Premier League, but in Europe as well. Um, for them to get a 3-1 win there was huge for their season, even though they're, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, they're only in 14th place. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people said if they lost that, Solskjaer was gone, which, I mean, I don't think he would have been. But nah, he does tend, for since he's taken that job, he does have this tendency to go on a poor run and then he'll pick up this incredible result, usually away from home. And the point about Everton, you know, Everton are a bit hit and miss. They almost remind me of Arsenal for the past few years. They'll win these games that they probably shouldn't win, but they'll always drop points in games you'd have them as favourites. Like, I thought they were firm favourites to beat Man U, given where they were. But, and they turned like up, Scotland they turned up as well. Yeah, very yeah. like Scotland, yeah. <laughs> but I do, I do think Everton, you know, there's so much quality in that team that they have lost their last three but there'll be no doubt that they'll be in the top six summer coming into the season because there's a lot yeah. of quality in that team and when they get it right they're good to watch Oh without a doubt and Calvert-Lewin's been in fire I mean I mean, yes. who would have thought 11 goals 10 games Premier League Player of the Month for I think September I believe or maybe it was October um, it was September, one of those months um, and to think he's averaging 76 minutes per goal, which is one of the best. I think I think only Hyun Ming Sun beats it, and of course we'll get on to Tottenham, I'm yeah. sure, yeah. later on. <laughs> <laughs> and and how good they've been. But I think James Rodriguez as well has been some signing. Um some were skeptical. I was a bit skeptical, thinking why would he move down to Everton? Because let's be honest, he's a golden boot winner um at a World Cup, and he's also played for Real Madrid, been a part of a Monaco team, granted for only one season, and also 
won, uh, I think it was two Bundesliga titles he won at Bayern Munich, something like that. Well, but, he was on yeah, loan for two years, so he probably did, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, mean, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, it is Bayern Munich, so like, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 mean, I, mean, I mean, I could get put in that team and probably yeah. still <laughs> win a Bundesliga. But, uh, but then again, with my finishing, it would be very close. <laughs> well, you say that if they had you in the park, they'd only win, you know, four 0 every week instead of six, you know. Yes, so, fair. <laughs> yeah, he's he's been a good signing. There's a couple of games this season I've watched. He hasn't really affected the game much, but you know, he's that kind of player that if you if you find him on the wrong day, then he'll cause you problems. And that's the kind of player that Everton haven't really had for a while. That kind of top mm. top player who will just make something out of nothing. And they've definitely got that in him because you look at the likes of Sigurdsson, you know. One week is fine, next week is just invisible. You know, he's he's fine, but he's nothing more really. And that kind of ham is, you know, that name he brings a lot to their game. He's he's a joy to watch when he gets it right. Yeah, definitely. Completely agree. And now will we move on to talk about Crystal Palace and Leeds just for a wee bit? Now Crystal Palace were a team that I thought were gonna be really shocking this season because last season they were they, they had one of the worst attacks. They were so heavily reliant on Wilfred Zaha, who, quite frankly, has been deteriorating over the past um, few seasons. And I, and, and I think their top goal scorer was one Kamala Vojevic. Who, takes penalties. <laughs> yeah, and he just takes penalties. And you're like, how on earth can Crystal Palace, that were, this was my thought process at the start of the season, of course, how on earth can Crystal Palace actually stay up when they've got a defence who, let's be honest, is filled with players who I don't think are as good as the defenders at Aston Villa, at Brighton, or or even at Sheffield United as well. And I thought that they would struggle. But, you know, to be fair, Wilfred Zaha, five goals at this stage of the season is very good, especially for a bottom half Premier League side. And also, he's, he's, he's got uh, a couple of assists as well. And, I mean, I think Bielsa's sides with Leeds are always going to be a bit up and down. Um, but, you know, fair play to Crystal Palace. It was a solid 4-1 win for them. And they've definitely surprised me with how well they've done this season. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't too surprised that Palace won the game. I was more surprised. Well, 4-1 was a shock. Um, I know Leeds did have a very controversial goal disallowed for the offside, which I mean, I don't agree with at all, but let's, let's not go too deep into VAR because I feel like I do that every week on here. Yes. But no, I, I see your point about Leeds, you know, they've everyone seems, you know, they're a joy to watch and all this and that, and they are sometimes, but sometimes they're just not there at all. They're very slow to get the ball moving sometimes, and their defence is all over the place, in my opinion. They seem so oh, open. Yeah. Every time they play, it's so open, which is all well and fine if you're scoring four goals up the other end, but when you're not, you know, you're losing games. And I don't really see where everybody else is going to fix that because as far as I know, he's all about passing, moving and scoring goals. I don't really see where the defence is going to get fixed unless they spend. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how financially bad Leeds are at the moment. Maybe they will go and spend you know, 40, 50 million on defenders, but I can't see that happening. And at the back, they look a bit of a mess and it's costing them at the moment. Yeah, and I don't really think Rodrigo's hit the ground running, has he, so far? They brought him in no. for 30 million. No. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I, I mean, how hard is it for a player who spent most of his career 
in another league to move to a Premier League and try and adjust to the English way of life at the best of times. When you're in the middle of a pandemic, it just gets ten times harder. Yeah, so, yeah. He I got a goal against should... City, which was big. And I'm yeah, not sure I, I, he I, scored since. Uh, but, you know, I think just the fact that he's got a goal, I think, will, will help. I mean, look, Patrick Banford has yeah. been great so far as well. Seven for him. So, I think they've got goals from other areas which has helped and which has offset that. But, yeah, I completely get your point about if you're conceding a lot at one end, you're going to have to make up for it at the other. And Leeds so far haven't done that. But, you know, I think if Leeds just even tighten their defence and improve it ever so slightly, I think, I mean, I still expect them to avoid relegation by a pretty comfortable margin and finish in that sort of 12th, 13th area. I don't think they'll get up to like challenging European spots like a lot of people were predicting. Um, but I still think, even though their sort of start this season has been a bit iffy, I still expect them to comfortably stay up. Yeah, they'll be fine there, but and I just feel like they could be doing so much more if that defence was sorted. But anyway, let's move on to oh, what you'd call one of the title challengers, Chelsea against Sheffield United. Comfortable in the end for Chelsea, but it wasn't that way from the start. Sheffield United rarely score, and it was a big surprise to go 1-0 up at Stamford Bridge. But in the end, you know, comfortable and hard times the ache. Showing his quality, showing his worth. That boy can pick a pass. Yeah, unbelievable at times. Oh yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, you have to say on the basis of it, this should be a game where Chelsea's winning yeah. pretty comfortably by Definitely. about a three-goal margin here. Um, Sheffield United have only picked up one point in their past eight this season. I, I'll yeah. be honest, I can't remember who that was against, but. I, th- I think it was in about the second week or something like that. Something's telling me it was Burnley, but don't quote me in that. Um, and yeah, I think Chelsea, based on the players that they've brought in, or rather based on the amount of players that they've brought in, Kaya Verts, Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech, Thiago Silva, brought in a wholesale amount of players across the field. And I think they're always going to need time to try and gel together. But, you know, they're sitting fifth place just now. Not the worst um, position to be in at all. And, you know, I still expect them to get third, to be honest. But, you know, I think Tottenham will be closing on them. Yeah, I mean, well, Tottenham sit above them just now, to, to be fair. But it's that kind of league that started off so crazy that you almost you can't, can't rely on league positions at this stage because it is just wild. Some teams are really underperforming, some are overperforming. But yeah, in my opinion, it was too many big things for Chelsea, you know, um, to change so much at the one time, I don't think works. I think you've got to gradually do it. Some will disagree, which is fair enough, but I think it's encouraging for Chelsea. They're still to see Havertz really hit the ground running. Werner's only just started scoring. Ziyech's only just got fit. So the next few months could be very, very promising for Chelsea. If these players keep themselves fit and just gain a wee bit of form, they'll be, they'll be cruising up there. Yeah, definitely. Completely, completely agree. But the last game of Saturday, West Ham Fulham. Well, this, this was probably it was probably surprised how close this was in the end. I mm. thought West Ham would run away with it. Yeah. West Ham for me are the kind of the overperformers so far this season. They're only sitting in twelfth. But if you talk about the games they've got points from, you know, to beat Wolves four 0 to one 0 away at Leicester, to draw with Tottenham, eh, to draw with City as well. You know, no one really really close with Arsenal as well in the yeah. Emirates. 
uh-huh, yeah, that was some last 20 minutes. I can remember watching that. And I think with the Premier League, you always kind of hope that the underdog has a bit of a surprise. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a weird conundrum, hasn't it? West Ham have played better with Alan Ovens in the dugout rather than David Moyes. <laughs> yeah, which is definitely something that social media has enjoyed, shall yeah. we say. <laughs> but, yeah, I, th- I think West Ham have been good so far. I think David Moyes will be happy with the position that he's in. I think West Ham fans, so let's be honest, haven't had a lot to be happy about in recent years. I think they should be happy. Um, and, I, and I think they are. Um, yeah, I, I was surprised when Felipe Anderson went, I'll be honest, during the yeah. summer. But he, he never really hit the ground running. But I, And neither has uh, Seb Alea. But, you know, Mikael Antonio, to think they only signed him for, I don't know how much, but it, presumably it wasn't a lot coming from Nottingham Forest. Then... The, the recruitment of the lower leagues, Jared Bowen as well, Mikhail Antonio, as I've just mentioned, they, those players are really stepping up, which you wouldn't okay. expect that in, in the face of 40 million uh, number nine strikers and another. I think uh, Felipe Anderson also cost 40 million as well for Lazio. So, yeah, West Ham would be kind of a strange team in terms of the players that are actually stepping up and performing. It wouldn't be the players that you would expect, but you know, I think the the I think I think like Leeds they're gonna be um a team that again will comfortably stay up and may may have a few wee slap ups here and there. Um I, I do expect them to drop points as you said to those sort of teams that they're expecting to beat. But that ability to even take the odd point or two off of um the team sitting in the top half of the Premier League is really crucial to them staying up this season. Yeah, you do worry with Antonio's injury, where the goals will come from. I'm not sure when he's back fit. And for all I know, he could be back fit tomorrow. Um, but, you know, they, they've got some really cracking players. I, I love watching that uh, Suchek in the middle of the park. He just strolls through a game. It's really nice to watch. And, of course, he got the winner against Fulham. But Fulham will be absolutely raging. They did not nick an equaliser in the 98th minute from the penalty spot. I mean, it's all well and good if you hit a normal penalty and it gets saved. But when you try a wee Penenka in the 98th minute and you're a club at the bottom of the league who need a point and you try a Penenka and it's easily gathered by Fabianski and goal. And part of me feels sorry for him, but part of me is always like, you absolute idiot. Why? <laughs> Why would you try Took it? Took the words right out of my mouth there. Took the words right out of my mouth. Silly, silly boy. So, anyway... Before I get too annoyed at that, well, not annoyed at it, just, well, annoyed at him, really, because it's just yes. stupid. <laughs> Let's move on to Sunday, which started with West Brom against the mighty Spurs. Not a great game. 1-0 no. Tottenham finished, but job done. And that's all that matters from Tottenham point of view. Harry Kane, 150 Premier League goals. Some record. Some record. And also in a short amount of games to do it as well. Yeah. Bear in mind. No, I mean, no. he... Yeah, and to think he's had that sort of uh, track record as well, even after being injured for a lot of games as well and sort of coming back from injury, starting on the bench, then coming on, um, I think that's a huge achievement for him. I think we have to talk about how much of a provider Harry Kane has been this season. Yeah, it's he's almost taken up a new role. He's almost playing that Roberto Firmino role, that kind of false mm. name. He drops back and then... The way it works, so you've, if you've got Son and Bale, you know, sprinting behind, all you need is just one ball from Kane, and they're through on goals. We've seen so many times this season. It's a great formula, and it's doing absolute wonders for them. 
And if you know if they maintain it, though, not saying they'll challenge for the league, but they'll be top four certainties if they can maintain this form. Oh yeah, definitely. I I mean, here's a stat that I think the listeners will enjoy. He's actually assisted more than he scored this season. Uh, so it's nine assists and eight goals, which is quite something for for your stereotypical number nine striker. And it just shows how much either he has revolutionised his game or Mourinho has helped him to revolutionise his game. Either way, it's working very well and Tottenham are flying. Yeah, I mean, if you'd said to me Harry Kane just has, what, eight goals this season, I'd, I'd be quite happy if I was a striker. But if you have <laughs> the assists in, it's quite, it's quite a start. Because it's not really something in previous seasons you would have said is particularly strong in his game. You would have said he holds it up well and he brings others into play well, but to make goals the way he's making them, look at the quality of some of his passes through for Son. Even, I think it was at Burnley when they nicked a late goal to win 1-0, which I mean, I'll talk about in a minute, something I want to mention there. Quality of the header, just laying it into his path. The goal against West Ham that Son scored, the pass from Kane's different class. Before at Southampton, Son scored. Every one of them's a quality pass. But with Tottenham now, there's just, you know, the winning mentality. They'll go away and they'll nick a 1-0 win. Job done. That's the kind of thing you haven't seen from Tottenham over the last few years. And I think that's down to Mourinho, of course, but it's down to some of the signings as well. The players that will just get you over the line. They'll win the game, they'll move on. And that's, you know, it's good to see, especially from a, well, a Tottenham fan. But they're enjoyable to watch as well. Definitely more enjoyable than they have been in previous seasons. Yeah, definitely. Completely agree. But we move on to the next game on Sunday, which was Leicester Wolves, which I mean, two good sides, two sides mm. who play that play in a similar way, and well, it proved to be that you know a very tight game, only one 0 and it was a penalty as well. But yeah, harsh, yeah. Was, but harsh. I would say I thought the penalty was harsh, but you know this handball rule again, I could talk about it for hours, but I'm not going to. And Var- <laughs> well, I was about to say Vardy doesn't miss penalties, but of course he did miss one later on in the game. I mean, well saved by Patricio, but for Leicester, we'll just see that as job done because that's a tough fixture to win when you play Wolves. Job done, top of the table, they'll take that. Oh yeah, with a shadow of a doubt. And they've also got, which I think goes under the radar, they've also only conceded nine goals, which along with Tottenham, Aston Villa, okay, bear in mind, there are about five teams who have only conceded nine goals, which is the best in the Premier League. So when I started saying that, it's gradually sounded less impressive than I wanted it to. But but of course, Leicester's defence has gone really under the radar as well. And I think for them having the best defence and top goal scorer, and as you mentioned, Jamie Vardy, it can only prove good things for them in the season. And also Brendan Rodgers, who's a fair experienced Premier League coach. And I mean, they never had the best, um, it's weird to say last season, isn't it? Like sort of that July period, um, where they just couldn't really hit the ground running. But they definitely seem to have done it now. Um, But of course, when Leicester are top of the table, there are always fans that like to get a bit dreamy and think, think, could they do it again? But, you know, with with Liverpool's injuries, which we'll get on to, Man City as well, there's a slim chance, but more of a chance of Europe. But even still, I still expect Arsenal to improve. I expect Chelsea to climb up the table. I think Man City and Man United will get up from 10th and 14th place, respectively. And I think while Leicester have been good, sometimes good might not be good enough. But of course, when you've got the best defence and so far the top goal scorer, 
undoubtedly good things can definitely happen. Yeah, um, it's all down to Rogers for me. You know, he's he's a great manager, but as we both know very well. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes they're, great. they're another team for me. Sometimes they're great to watch, and sometimes like that Wolves game, they're a bit boring, but they win the game. And you know, if you're a side that is going for a top four place, that's all you need to do. They do it well. But anyway, let's move on to what was the biggest fixture of the weekend. Man City Liverpool. For me, this will be the two that challenged for the title. And yeah. the game the game went that way in my opinion. The first half was a bit, you know, the first twenty five minutes it was Liverpool one hundred miles an hour, right out from the blocks, won the penalty, scored the goal chance after chance. But as soon as soon as City equalised, you know, that flipped completely. It was hundred miles an hour the other way. City have a chance after chance, miss a penalty. And then the second half calmed down a bit. But wow, that first half was something else. Crazy game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I think with Aguero being injured, uh, Jesus just coming back now as well, I think that can sort of explain why Man City's been down in 10th and are struggling for goals. Sterling getting put out in the left hasn't really worked and he hasn't found goal-scoring form. I think fans are always going to point to the fact that David Silva isn't here. But of course, if Man City weren't doing well when Vincent Company left, then they'd be saying it's Vincent Company. Or when Aguero leaves and Man City aren't doing well, or of course it's Sergio Aguero. I think David Silva undoubtedly would make any team better, no matter who they are. Well, but he has. I mean, I, it's a Spanish yeah. side or top of the league. <laughs> oh, no, so. I know, of course, of course. And I think I think that just goes to show how good a player he's been. But I think I think this season is undoubtedly a season like no other. And only when you're only seven or eight games in. You're of course going to find teams that are just sort of finding their rhythm, and I think that's the case for both Man City and Liverpool. Um, and I think if we just sort of gradually move on to Liverpool, I mean, who would have thought Diogo Jota would have had so far the start that he's had? It's been incredible for him, and obviously Bobby Firmino hasn't quite hit the ground running. And of course, Sam, I know you're a great fan of uh, Bobby Firmino, aren't you? I'm a I'm a fan of Firmino. It's I mean I, I know he's not the most prolific goal scorer in the world, and I, I like what else he brings to the table in a more creative sense and a movement sense. But Yo- I don't ex- I didn't really think Yota was anything special when Liverpool signed him. I thought he was good for Wolves, nothing more really. But his goal scoring ability is something else for a guy who's not a striker. He just pops up where he needs to be, and that's a talent you can't really teach. Yeah, fair, I play- know. fair play to him. Fair play to him. I enjoy he, watching. He's almost. Yeah, he's almost, to use a sort of strange comparison, he's almost like that Gary Lineker-esque, always finding spaces in the box, isn't he? Yeah. He's he's not particularly fast, I don't think, which you would expect for some Premier League winners, uh, wingers, not winners, um, <laughs> like a Manny or a Salah, um, who are very fast. Whereas he isn't, he's more... Of a, I don't want to say intelligent player because that would imply that Salah and Manny aren't, which they certainly are. But I think the the thing that really helps Diogo Jota is his ability to play anywhere across the front three, and that helps him so well in order to 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 contribute to Liverpool's system, which naturally does have quite a good front three. So yeah, I think Liverpool's defence, obviously Van Dijk being out for. Definitely the foreseeable and, and even, you could say, unfortunately, distant future. Robertson having a wee hamstring niggle as well. Trent being out, I think that could obviously affect them quite profoundly. Um, but, you know, I think Joe Matipo will do fine. I think when 
Fabinho can sort of move back in there. And but of course they've got that sort of unknown Greek left back Simikas, who who knows how good he's gonna be. Um but yeah, I think I think upon reflection for the game, both sides would have taken a one one, I think, if you'd yeah. offered them it. Both both teams are sort of finding their stride, but they'll definitely want to push on this week and, and definitely rack up quite a few wins, won't they? Yeah, I mean that it was def in the second half that was definitely the case. I mean, for the first maybe fifteen minutes of the second half, City had quite a few chances. I think after that, both thought, you know what, we'll take the point because we better not lose any ground here. The City's point of view, I think, and Liverpool just thinking, right, don't let them get closer to us. So, yeah, I agree. I, well, I think that based on the way the first half went, I think City would be pretty disappointed. They didn't get three points. But if you did offer them, offered them a point before the game, yeah, I agree. I think they would have taken it. Yeah, definitely agree. So we'll move on to the next game then, which was Arsenal Aston Villa. Now yeah. that was Upset quite weekend. a surprise. <laughs> yeah, quite yeah. a surprise. Um, but I think that just highlights how good Grealish and McGinn have been this season. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a massive Grealish fan. I love watching him play. Different class on the ball. Um, oh, wow. yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I, well, I think the whole, he's the whole team. The whole team. I mean, this. Kind of going back to the Leeds thing I was saying earlier, I worry about them at the back because I'm not confident in Mings at all. Target, I'm not a massive fan of. I do like the concert centre half, I quite like him. But they're not really, you know, they're not top half players, you know. So they are definitely overachieving in that sense. But they have made a great signing in Martinez and goal. He's a great keeper. And also Ollie Watkins as well up front. Watkins, yeah, I know he has a bit of a weird start. You know, he scored three against Liverpool, two, two against Arsenal. But apart from that, against the lower sizing table, he's only got one goal, which is a bit strange. But he's the kind of player I think he'll score here and there. He'll get big goals here and there. But he's not the guy, I think, who's going to get you 20, 25 goals a season. No, I don't think but so. if he's scoring 10, 15 goals a season for Villa, I think they'd take that as money well spent. Yeah. And what's also good for Villa, for Villa, Villa <laughs> is, that, is that they've got goals across the field as well. Because yeah. Grealish has already got five for that sort of winger attack and midfielder um, sort of area. Kind of like that sort of Diogo Jota mould he can kind of, uh, as we yes, were yeah. a few minutes ago, he can play anywhere. And I think that's such an asset for a team like Aston Villa, who who maybe need a player who can play on the right one week and play in the middle of the next week, just depending on who they're playing. And the fact that they've got a player like that is really helpful. And I think they'll really push forward. And I think they will finish in the top half of the Premier League this season. Yeah, me too. I mean, with Grealish, you know, sometimes he's not always involved in the assist or the goal. But what he does is he drags one or two players with him. You know, they have to stick close to him because if, if you leave him on Matthew, you'll, you'll make something happen. So he, just by having him in the team, he t- he occupies so much of the field, just because of his presence. And that's you know to have that for an Aston Villa kind of team. You know any team in the league would take him. For Aston Villa to have him is, is quite something, and he's definitely shown his worth. You know goals, as you said, assists. I mean, I know the stat about him being the most fouled player is thrown up a lot. It's almost annoying me how much he's getting fouled because I would just like to see him keep going and keep playing because he always makes something happen. I mean, the guy's almost yeah. impossible to tackle. Oh, I know. He, he really is. And I think if we move on to Arsenal as well, I think they've been a team again that has sort of epitomised a sort of lockdown chaos, haven't they? One week they're exceptional, and then the next week they're getting 
thumped by Aston Villa at home. And yeah. that's obviously not what they want to be doing, even though Aston Villa, as I've just been saying, have been really, really good so far. And no player from Aston Villa scored more than five. Aubameyang, Lacazette, Nicola Pepe as well have kind of been there and thereabouts contributing for, for a few goals here and there. But I think we all know how how good and how pivotal uh, PMM of the Kabamiang has been to Arsenal. And he just, I think there's a sense of an over-reliance in him. And when he's not being lights out exceptional, then I think Arsenal can really kind of struggle. And I think that's what's been happening so far. Yeah, I mean, for me, this looked like the first season in ages that Arsenal had a settled defence with holding Gabriel and Tierney, and they were just ripped apart by this Villa team. It was quite incredible. Because, I mean, the previous week away at Old Trafford, that back three and the two holding midfielders were brilliant. All five of them, like Thomas Partey and El Nenny, were both brilliant in that midfield. But they were totally overran. They don't seem to have that player without... I mean, I know they'll never... Ozo might never play for them again. But that kind of player who sits in front of those two midfielders and makes things happen. You know, if you've got, if you've got Partey and Elneny running everywhere, winning the ball back and moving it on, the players are moving it on to are wingers who want to get wide or a striker who wants it in over the top. They don't have that player in the middle just to, you know, pick a pass, make something happen. It's very, almost too structured in a way that doesn't allow, you know, a, a kind of free roamer in there like a David Silva, as we mentioned earlier. And that's the kind of player they're missing. And if they had that, I think they'd be a much better team to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what those top teams need, isn't it? That fluent attack, like we were talking about Liverpool, having those players who can sort of play in multiple positions. And while Aubameyang can do that and has been played out in the wing, Lacazette can, Pepe not to the same extent. And I think that, as you were saying, it's almost too structured. Um, And that is obviously hampering their, their forward creativity. So, will we get on to the predictions for last week then? Or? Well, but before we do, I'll just mention a couple of lower league results that were important for last weekend. So, last weekend saw second and third Norwich and Swansea play. Norwich won 1-0 with, um, I believe it was quite a, yeah, an 84th minute goal to go into second above Swansea. And then there was some big FA Cup games as well. Ipswich and Portsmouth finished 3-2 Portsmouth. So, Kieran was obviously not with us this week. I was very excited at that. Um, but yeah, let's do it. Let's go on to this week because there are some big games to talk about. So we start with lunchtime on Saturday, half twelve kickoff, Newcastle Chelsea. What are your thoughts? So I predicted a two 0 for that. I think as you were saying, Newcastle kind of came that will be a bit iffy. I think this could go either way with it as a two each draw or a nothing each, just in terms of how how the way it's gone. But I think because of Chelsea's offensive talent, I think they only need a Ziyech, a Werner, or a Kaya Verts to turn up and they'll easily win. I think if all three of them turn up, they'd end up being a cricket score. So I, I, I do expect, though, they might have that sort of post-international great rustiness kind of getting just back into their shape. And I've went a wee bit conservative this week and went for 2-0 Chelsea. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. But I was thinking these kind of games, whenever Newcastle play a top side at home, they tend to be really hard to beat. So I've gone for I've gone for Chelsea to win, but only 2-1. I've gone quite a close one. 
Newcastle do still have a threat, you know, players like Wilson who scored a few goals, St Maxman's always exciting to watch. If they get it right, they'll cause problems. But, you know, as you've said, Chelsea should have too much quality to be in any real danger of losing it. So 2-1 is what I've gone for there. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think we're both kind of in agreement there. In terms of Aston Villa, Brighton, I have expected Aston Villa's um, good form to continue. But I think Brighton will, will cause a few problems in, in with sort of Neil Mopey and others. Um, I think I went for an Aston Villa 2-1 win at Villa Park. 2-1. Went two, I went 3-1, so I've gone for one more goal. Again, we're quite close to him. But yeah, I, yeah Brighton, do have, they do have that kind of ability to cause the odd problem here and there. But yeah, I, I expect that uh, Villa will have just a bit, a bit too much for them. Yeah, now on to the big one as well. Oh, man. I, I'm excited for this. This is always a good fixture. It's always an exciting game. I think last season it was a 2 all. And I, I think Tottenham won 2 0. And the season before, remember that? Well, of course, the season before you had that mad Champions League tie, which was absolutely crazy. So it's One always of the exciting. Best Champions League ties I've ever won. Yeah. That, oh, that, that was incredible, that game. And also the, the game after that, that, that season as well, the Tottenham Ajax, was yeah. <laughs> absolute scenes to say the least. Scenes. Absolute <laughs> but, scenes. Yeah, for for this game I went for you might say an upset. I went for Tottenham three two. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think Son and Kane's yeah. good form will continue. Um, and I think although Aguero's starting to get back, Jesus as well, and Man City obviously have goals. I think Tottenham at home, even though home advantage doesn't mean as much. Um, I do think that Tottenham might just edge it because I think Tottenham's defence has been better than Man City's this season. Um, and I think that might sort of be the key to just hold out for that one crucial attack when Man City is, is going forward. And I think combined with Tottenham's great attack and play with Son and Kane, and obviously the, I, I, th- I think it'd be quite something if Gareth Bale was to get in the score sheet as well in a crucial game. Um, I think I do expect Tottenham to just edge it here. But what a game it will be, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for it. I mean... I would happily take a 3-2 Tottenham. I'd love to see a 3-2 Tottenham. I've gone 2-all. But uh, just with, you know, you say City's defence hasn't been great. It hasn't been great at all. But I think he's now found his four with uh, Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, Emerick Laporte and Kyle Walker. That seems to be his four. And although I don't rate a couple of those players, if he settles in that, you know, I think they'll be fine. But yeah, I agree. Tottenham going forward, they'll score goals. Hopefully they should. And But uh, I think with City having Jesus back, you know, he's now played one game in Europe and he's played a Premier League game as well played for his country you know if he's up to I, I think he's a good striker so if he's up to speed they'll have more in that you know they'll have more going forward and I mean it's an impossible one to call really because you never know what you're going to get from Tottenham No you definitely don't you definitely don't and I think they're sort of emblematic of the Premier League as a whole what yeah. one week can be excellent next week they can be absolutely not great <laughs> Yeah but I mean that, that's the thing when they haven't been great this season, they've still managed to find a way to win. It's just, will they get away with it against a Man City? I don't think so. But let's hope they are They are on it. And, you know, so it will be a good game, no matter what, I think. But anyway, let's move on. Manchester United, West Brom is our final game of Saturday. Saturday night football. Not a fixture I'm particularly looking forward to. I don't really enjoy watching either team. But I have gone with a Man U win. I've gone for a close one. I've gone 2-1 Man U. 
I, I went for a wee bit further. I went 4-1. I just mm. think with Martial, with Rashford, with Bruno Fernandes creating the most amount of chances of anybody in the Premier League of 2.83 per game, I think that is obviously going to be helpful where they've got that creativity in midfield, which is something that they've lacked for ages because Pogba can be really quite unreliable um, in terms of his creative output. And yeah, I, I don't think West Brom will cause much threat going forward. But, you know, I think because Manu's defence is prone to quite a few mistakes, I can see maybe a Matheus Pereira, who, who of course, in my opinion, is West Brom's best player. I think he could he could get the score sheet. But I think ultimately Man United at home with the attack, with that sort of fluidity, as we were saying, I think Man United will just be too much for West Brom. Yeah, I suppose we didn't really mention how good Bruno Fernandes was in that game against Everton, you know. Two goals and an assist. He was tremendous going forward. Um, but it's the kind of game United have struggled in this season. You know, they lost at home to Palace. They struggled away at Brighton. This is the kind of game I'm, I would never be confident in as a Man U fan, even though it's only West Brom, just because you never know. Man U are totally unpredictable this season. And we, to be fair, the last couple of seasons, you could have said that. But I expect them to get three points. They're more than capable of being a West Brom side. But then we yeah. move on to. Fulham Everton. It's our first game of Sunday. I yeah, firm, Everton firm favourites. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Even though they're at home, got that home advantage. I just can't see where the goals are going to come from, especially against a well organised Ancelotti defence. I think Fulham are a team that I did predict them to stay up narrowly. I thought they'd do a sort of Sheffield United thing where they'd sort of rally around and be more than the sum of the parts, but it hasn't happened in the end or so far. Um has it really? I think I think Everton will find a form again. But I don't think it will be a runaway game by any means. I think I think it will be tight. I think Fulham will make it tight. Um but yeah I think Mohamed Rodriguez on form and Calvert Lewin and Ricarlison who we've not talked about yet. Um yeah I think Everton will just be too much for Fulham. Yeah, I mean, Everton could really do with the points. I mean, they've lost their last three. They haven't won in four. But I have gone to win 2 0. I have got, so not a runaway, but, you know, just a professional performance and they'll get three points and move on. That's what I think will happen. Great minds think alike, Sam, because that was my prediction you know, as well. Hey, there we go. That's, that's our first one. Our first one this week. Yeah, so far. So far. I, I mean, you have been pretty close so far anyway, yeah, but it's always yeah, good to true. get the first agreement in there. So, yeah, uh, Sheffield United, West Ham. I've went uh, a lot more conservative. I've went 1-1 for that one. 1-1, wow. Okay, interesting. I've gone 3-0 West Ham. Wow. Two um, vastly different ones there, haven't we? I, yeah. I, 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 I mean, from just agreeing one game ago to being completely different. Um, to start off, I'll, I'll kind of explain why for me. I think Sheffield United at home hasn't really meant much this season. I think they've lost all their games there. Um, and although I don't expect them to win this one, I do think West Ham can be very vulnerable defensively. And I think if Sheffield United get that early goal or even just get a goal in the first half and go win a lot, I think they'll really not just park a bus, but park like 100 buses and just like make like their 10 offensive players barely leave their defensive half. And I, I think you could kind of see that game going that way. But of course, if West Ham get the early goal, 
then I think they definitely could run up the numbers. So I think it all just kind of depends on how the game starts for me. But in my opinion, I think Sheffield United will get the first goal and then it'll be really quite tight. Yeah, I mean, Sheffield United haven't conceded too many this season. But they did lose, I can't remember who it was, but they lost another defender to the virus who was away in international duty during the week there. So that'll be a bit unsettling for them. And I think, yeah. like you said, if West Ham get an early goal, I think they'll win comfortably. But I don't see where Sheffield are going to get. I know they got a goal at Stamford Bridge, but, you know, we've already slaughtered McBurney for the <laughs> programme. Yeah, I, I just don't see where the goals are going to come from, you know. They've only scored, um, how many have they scored this They've only scored four goals this season. You know, it's, it's not the lowest. Burnley have scored three, but it's just they aren't coming. To, they aren't coming frequent enough, not when they need them. So yeah. I, fear, I fear for Sheffield because they're just they're not scoring, and although they're not conceding too many, doesn't matter because they're not scoring goals. Yeah, I, I, I mean I don't want to flex, but I did kind of predict this at the start of the season. I did expect Sheffield United to go down. I yeah, think. Me too. I, I, I think. They, oh, did you really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know that. I think I had them in eighteenth. Or something, so not right at the bottom, but still going down. Yeah, I, th- I think that was the exact same with me because I think they just have that sort of second season syndrome, like what Huddersfield had a few years ago mm. and countless other Premier League teams, um, where the system that worked for them in the first season, that sort of low block Burnley style, but at the same time, they could be really quite fast on the counter attack. Um, just hasn't worked for them this season. Teams have figured it out. Yeah. And I think that's a real problem for Sheffield United. But I think the floodgates won't quite open for them in this game. But I can't see them getting the win. No, neither can I. But we will move on to the next game. Quite a big one, this. Leeds-Arsenal. Definitely a this fixture. This will be mayhem. Is, yeah, I mean, this is very unpredictable. You know, Arsenal, who... At times this season have looked solid against the lead side who at times this season have been free scoring. But we just don't know who's going to turn up, you know. And I think that's whoever turns up in the first ten minutes could win the game because if Arsenal don't if Arsenal start poorly defensively, then you know, in Bamford's form, I wouldn't be surprised if he took another goal. He's playing well. But Arsenal going forward aren't scoring enough goals, you know. We talked about Aubameyang and things earlier. There's not really enough um, so far this season. So it's a hard one to predict this. So what have you gone for? I went for a four-two actually, um, because I think although Arsenal, you're right in saying that Arsenal haven't been scoring, I think Leeds defensively and the gaps that they leave because of Bielsa's pressing system and naturally when you press so far up the field, it can leave gaps defensively. I think Aubameyang's pace, um, as well as uh, Nicola Pepe as well can really exploit that. And also people forget how quick the fullbacks are as well in terms of Saka and Tierney. And I think that threat through the middle of those two players and then out wide, I think could re- that speed could really cause Leeds problems. But either way, it, what a game it will be to watch. Two teams, yeah. one attack, two teams, let's be honest, cannot really defend. Um, and that's why I went for that. A, a, a bit of a mental 4-2-1 for Arsenal. Yeah, I've I've gone two on Arsenal. I think Arsenal win. I agree with you. The space is in behind that leads leave. You know, Arsenal do have the players to exploit. If they play well, then they will exploit it. So yeah, it's definitely one to watch. That looking forward to that one. Then final game of Sunday is Liverpool Leicester. Now this should also be a cracker. 
given Liverpool's defensive injuries, but you know they still have a threat going forward to score goals. So it's a hard one to predict this one as well. So I've gone three to Liverpool. You know, I think they'll, they'll win the game simply by outscoring Leicester. That's what I think is going to happen. I think I think this might be the first game where we've completely differed on a winner. I think two one Leicester. Yeah. I mean, if Leicester win, I won't be surprised given who Liverpool are missing and um, how unsettled that back four might be. Even the midfield, I think they're missing midfielders as well. So it'll be an unsettled team. Yeah, definitely. But I think Leicester with Bardi and obviously I think they've just got a bit of a better defence than Liverpool mm. right now. Uh, although at Anfield, Liverpool's midfield I think significantly better than Leicester's. Um, even though Leicester's midfield is not bad, they have got players like Wilfred and Didi who I've been really impressed with this season and that holding midfielder role. But I think with Fabinho, with Thiago, with Gini Wijnaldum, who, if you believe the papers, is in demand heavily uh, for the January window. Um, I think that creativity in the midfield will definitely mean Liverpool get a goal, of course, with also Manny and Jota, and presumably Firmino. That will be the front three, Casales, obviously his, his um, contract to COVID-19. But I think Leicester, because they're on form, that sort of... Um, mental attitude of being top of the table um, will give that team a, a huge boost, a lot of morale and I think that will just prepare them to, to a shock 2-1 win but either way it will be close and I think like Leeds and Arsenal and Tottenham Manchester City will definitely be a game to watch and an exciting game to watch at that as well Definitely, yeah I mean certain to be goals in that one I think but yeah I think Liverpool have enough going forward to just outscore them but yeah, like you say, it should be a really good battle. If we were in the park, it should be a real battle that game. But anyway, let's move on to Monday night, which starts with Burnley Crystal Palace. What is, what's going to happen there, Cal? I've went for the 1-0 Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, there we go, another another match. Yeah, there we go. I think um, so far, um, I just can't see how Burnley are scoring this. And I think Burnley's defence hasn't even been great. And if you're, and I think that's what we were saying with Leeds, actually. If your defence isn't good, you really need to sort it out in the other end in a major way. And Burnley just haven't been able to do that. I think, I, I think it would be quite something if this was a Milivojevic penalty, because that would just sum it up, I think. But I, I read somewhere that he might have got COVID if he's just coming back from COVID or something well, like that. Um, so, he missed the he missed the Serbia game against Scotland, didn't he, with COVID? So I suppose he won't be playing. Yeah, well, that is a shame <laughs> <laughs> because that would just sum up those two teams, wouldn't it? <laughs> if, if Crystal Palace scored from a penalty, but yeah, I just think Crystal Palace have got more defensive talent. I yeah, think. definitely. I, I think if Wilfred Saha doesn't score, he's going to get an assist, and if he doesn't get an assist. He's, he's, he's going to get a crucial pass. He's going to be involved somewhere because he's at the heart of everything that Crystal Palace do. And I just don't think Burnley have a player like that. I think, no, no, they don't. I, yeah, I, th I think historically their system would offset that, but it just hasn't worked this season. And yeah, I, I don't expect it'll be a runaway game, but I think it'll be just a, a, a pretty convincing 1-0-1 for uh, Palace in the end. Yeah, they'll be firm favourites, Palace, but yeah, I don't think there's much more to add to that. Expect Palace to win. 
not too comfortable. It'll, it'll be a classic, you know, wet Monday night away at Burnley. There won't be too much quality in the game, but there'll be one moment that wins it. So we've seen so many times at that ground. But anyway, let's move on to the final Premier League game of the weekend. Wolves-Southampton. If you'd asked me the hardest game to predict was this one, because you never know what you'll get with Southampton. And even though they're playing Wolves, they're also a hard team to predict. Any Southampton game is hard to predict, so it doesn't really matter who they play. But I've gone for a two-all draw, mainly because I have no idea. Really close. I, I just went for Wolves to edge it purely because they're at home. I mean, I know, as I was saying, home advantage really doesn't mean much. But at Molyneux, I think somehow it might just give them an advantage. I, I mean, as you were saying, it's so hard a game to predict. Both teams have been on form. Both teams can obviously have their, their mishaps as well. Um, but I think the key player for Wolves will end up being uh, their, their star striker, Raul Jimenez, as well. I think yeah. he knows how to get goals. Uh, and I, I think Jota's loss has affected them, um, Wolves, I mean, um, and they're sort of creative and goal-scoring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt they have talent there in the places, you know, the likes of Neto and Pudence, you know, two class B players. But I agree with you, his goal-scoring ability has kind of gone, more of it is now on Jimenez. But, you know, he is delivering. He does score goals. He gets them when they matter. And he's definitely a threat every game he plays. So, I mean, I'm surprised they managed to hold on to him in the summer, to be honest. I thought a lot of clubs would come screaming for him, but, you know, he's still there. He's still scoring and playing well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's my wee Jimenez praise over and done with. Yeah, I, I, I was just like, I really don't have much to add for that. So, <laughs> yeah, enough said in that one, I think. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to that one as well because Southampton, when they get it right, are great to watch and so are Wolves, oh, yeah. so that could go either way. But anyway, let's move on to the Championship now. Three games there, so our three games this week are Barnsley, Nottingham Forest, Millwall, Cardiff and Swansea, Rotherham. So let's start with Barnsley and Forest. Both teams struggling really this season, you know, 16th and 20th, they sit respectively. Forest, you know, started very poorly, but they have won their last two. They're on a decent rerun of form, but Barnsley are very in and out of form, you know. They went four games unbeaten, then lost one, then won again. So I've gone with a one-all draw, mainly because I don't really know. <laughs> I'm going to go to one. As you said, Nottingham Forest won the last two, and I think that sort of winning mentality can help them um, get a lot better. Um, but yeah, not, neither side have got really that main focal point, do they? Um, which I think you need for a, a bottom half team. Um, I mean, you, you you have kind of got a few that, yeah, I think it'll be a, a close game. Um, but yeah, I, I do suspect Nottingham Forest will just edge it on that one. Next we have Millwall, Cardiff. Millwall, at one point, were right up there, but they've slipped down to ninth, haven't won their last three. And Cardiff, who I think I had to get promoted automatically, currently yeah, sitting so 15th. <laughs> They're struggling a wee bit. They haven't, they've only won one of their last six. So I've gone for a 2-1 home win, 2-1 Millwall win, because they, well, they've been the better team this season, but not a great deal I can add to that. Yeah, for me, I actually went for Cardiff in the end. Um, as you were saying, they have only won one in the last six, and they're not really getting goals or creativity anywhere, and, and obviously they, they have um, conceded 11 this season, but you know, it really isn't that bad compared to 
are not the best in the league, but not the worst either. Um, no, but no, I've, I've, I've went for a, a 2-0 uh, away one, actually, for Cardiff. Because I think we both predicted them to get promoted for a reason. And I think they will end up rallying around it. I think this could be the game that starts a, a, a winning run for yeah, the Welsh start, side. Yeah. Good. So our final game of the championship is Swansea Rotherham. Swansea has been flying at times this season. Obviously, losing to Norwich last week, dropping from I think they were in third at the time. They're still in playoff positions as we speak, only by a point. But Rotherham are struggling. They're in nineteenth, only twelve points. So I've gone for a comfortable three 0 Swansea win. Yeah, uh, I, I, for some reason I went for the three-one to be honest, but uh, <laughs> I think if I can, I'll change my prediction and I will go for the three-nil. Um, yeah, that's fine. because yeah, cause I I just can't see where Rotherham's going to get goals to be honest. No, they're um, struggling for goals. And to be honest, I I, th- I think Swansea's defence has also been good so far this season. They're, they're, they've only conceded seven, which is one of the best in the league. And yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I, and I cannot really see Rotherham uh, uh, adding one or two more goals onto that uh, last. So, yeah, I think a comfortable win for, for, for both the Welsh sides, in my opinion. Um, but, of course, a wee bit controversial and maybe a bit unlikely as well. Well, I mean, if there's one league you never know what's going to happen, it's the Championship. It's, about, yeah. it's just mayhem every week, isn't it? But let's move on to League One. Now, a resident League One man, Kieran, obviously, isn't on this week. But, I mean... There's no Portsmouth this week, so he's probably not too fussed about missing it. But we start with Burton Albion against Northampton. How do you see that one going? Uh, I've went for, well, let me get it up, a 2-1 Northampton away win, to be honest. Um, even though Northampton aren't doing very well, neither are Burton, to be honest. Northampton yeah. are 19th, Burton are 23rd, so neither team are honest, uh, Burton have only had one win, granted they do have home advantage for this one, but of course, as we've kept on saying, and we'll probably continue to say, home advantage doesn't really mean much, because there's nobody in the stadium, so yeah, I, I do suspect Northampton will win a 2-1, um, but yeah, I, I don't think it will be a very exciting game, because both teams will kind of just be looking to, to sort of defend first and attack second, because because they are so far down in the table so far. Yeah, and that's what teams down there do. You know, you're fighting for survival. So as long as you're not losing, you're okay. I mean, I went, I've gone for a one-all draw. Not a great deal to happen there. I mean, yeah, Burton are really struggling at the moment, aren't they? But I just I have a feeling they might sneak a wee draw, which is much needed for them. But let's yeah. move on. MK Dons against, I believe, top of the table, second in the table, Hull City. So I've went for a wee shock in this one. I've Ooh. actually went for a one each draw between them because I because I, I think you'll always get them in a season where you you find a team unfancied will rally around and end up taking a point, well, in this case two points off of Hull. And I think MK Dons will be able to do that. I think Hull coming off the international break will have a wee bit of roughness and bear in mind. Hull, although they've won eight games this season, they have also lost three. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it'll be a pretty pretty tight game. Um, but I think if Milton Keynes get an early goal, they'll just want to go and defend for their lives. And I think that will prove crucial. And then getting the one point, that's good. 
Yeah, I've gone with MK Dons to score and I've gone with Hull to win 2-1 simply based on how they're playing this season. You know, they're not really scoring too many more than anyone else, but they're also not conceding too many. You know, they're just kind of winning mentality. They'll get over the line. It won't be pretty, but they'll do it. That's what I think is going to happen. But let's move on to our final game of League One, which is Swindon and Bristol Rovers. Both teams struggling, you know, 18th and 20th respectively. You know, both teams have only won one of their last six worrying times for both sides. So what have you gone yeah. for? Yeah, so I've went for, I'm, again, I'm going to change my prediction actually. I'm going to go for a Bristol Rovers 2-1 win, purely because Ooh. Swindon have conceded the most amount of goals in League One and obviously are sitting very precariously um, in that relegation spot. So, yeah, I think Bristol Rovers will just have enough to get them over the line. Um, and I think it will be more down to poor defending from Swindon than great attacking play from Bristol Rovers that will propel Bristol Rovers to win this one. Oh, see, I've gone the other way. I've gone Swindon to win 2-1. Uh, really just based on where they are in the league more than anything else. So, yeah, that's, that's that for League One. Let's move on to our final wee part of this episode, League Two. We start with newly promoted Barrow against Forest Green Rovers. So I've yeah. gone for a, I've gone for a two 0 Forest Green win, simply because they are probably overachieving this season. I'm not too not sure too many would have been as high as they are, but I'm also not too not sure that too many will have had Barrow in 18th, you know, a newly promoted side are doing pretty well. So it'll be close, but two 0 Forest Green Rovers win for me. You know, I, I've actually went for a wee bit more convincingly. I think, although Barrow have been good and have surprised, I think Forest Green are looking a really promising side so far. And, you know, they, uh, although they are in fifth place just now, they're only four points off the top and, no, and only one point away from um, an automatic promotion position. So, yeah, I think Forest Green will win it more convincingly and go for a 3 0 win for Forest Green Rovers. Excellent. Now our next game is new top of the table Newport against Port Vale. How do we see that one going? Uh, I went for a one 0 Newport. I think it'll be tight. I think Port Vale again will be not wanting to get beat. But you know both sides have been good so far this season. Port Vale on nineteen points. Um, uh, they've they've only been uh, put out by only two goals in terms of goal difference against Colchester. So Port Vale are really really close, but. Yeah, I think Newport, with that top-of-the-table advantage, will just get get the win and then defend it out after they've scored their goal. Yeah, I've gone a bit more convincing. I've gone 3-0 Port Vale. Eh, I was about to say Port Vale. Newport, 3-0 Newport. Yeah, top of the table, they've only lost one of their last six, one of their five. Flying, scoring plenty of goals, conceding a few, not too many. Um, I think they've got the second-best defensive record in the league. So, you know, they're looking good this season. I didn't think they'd be right up there, but there they are, and they're absolutely flying at the moment. So, I've been 3-0 Newport. Yeah, and now for the uh, last game, but not least, of course, um, I've predicted Bolton 2-0 against Stevenage. I think Bolton, although they haven't been great, sitting 17, and, of course, all the sort of problems they've had financially sort of um, prompted that. Stephen and Chapman been great either. I mean, eight points in twelve games is never the never the no. start you want to have to a season. Only win in one game, and obviously um, conceded as well twelve. But you know, twelve conceding twelve goals in twelve games could be far worse for uh, a side who are kind of just looking to stay up. 
But yeah, I think Bolton will will, will get another three points, and that might kickstart a a a fight for them for promotion. Yeah, I mean, not too much else to say. Stevenage obviously struggling. They were tipped by a few to really struggle this season, so it's not a great surprise. Bolton, you know, they have had their struggles, but you know they've won their last game. A wee bit of form, maybe, and I've gone with them to win two one, two one away win for Bolton. So that is us. That is our games finished. What game are you most looking forward to, Callum? Oh, without a doubt, Tottenham Man City. Yeah. Without a doubt, I think that's been the game that I've most enjoyed. Of course, I've enjoyed talking about all of them and loved being on the show for last episode. But I think that that's been particularly the game that when you just sit and watch both of the teams this season, you never quite know what you're going to get. What will Tottenham score a lot of goals thanks to their creativity, or will they sort of have a sort of stagnant? Um, win now, win like they did against West Brom, or will their defence be quite porous, like what happened in that three-each manic game? I think is the only way you can describe it against uh, uh, West Ham. So you never quite know what you're going to get from them. Man City as well, um, but yeah, what a game it will be! Yeah, looking forward, looking forward to a few games. I mean, Liverpool, Leicester will be a cracker. Leeds, Arsenal as well. Plenty to look, as it always is, there's always plenty to look forward to at the weekend. But Cal, it's been great having you on. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye bye.